Howdy. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. One quick bit of important housekeeping. Next week, next week is Thanksgiving. And as I do every year today, the Monday before the week of Thanksgiving, I send out two recipes and I sent them out not to the usual recipe list this morning. I sent them out to my Substack list. And if you want them, you need to text the word data to 33777. And the very third link you'll get, it'll say ewerickson.substack.com, something like that. Eric's Daily Newsletter. If you click through, the very top piece are those recipes. Now, what are they? Well, they're breakfast because you're so focused on the turkey and the sides that occasionally some of you have large households. You got a lot of people come to visit and you're thinking, what am I going to do for breakfast for these people? I have two recipes and I make them every year for my family uh, during the holiday season when we have people come over uh, and they, you make them the night before, stick them in the fridge. They're very easy to do. And then the next morning you throw them in the oven. It takes 45 minutes. They cook at the exact same temperature. So you can put them in one oven one is savory and one is sweet. One is a French toast casserole. My, my friend Dana Lash, I put this out this morning and she's on Twitter. Oh my gosh, the Eric Erickson French toast casserole. It's delicious. Yes. Endorsed by my friend Dana Lash as well. Uh, the other is a sausage and egg casserole. It is uh, breakfast sausage, eggs, cheese, uh, some white bread. It's a good recipe. Savory and sweet uh, for you. It makes it very easy for you to feed a bunch of people for Thanksgiving week or Christmas. I'll send out my world-famous turkey gravy recipe later this week. But if you want these two, text the word DATA to 33777. Uh, if you text RECIPE uh, and you, you're on that less recipe list, you'll get these later this week. Uh, but these I, I want people to have because I know you're going to be doing your shopping list, your groceries, all that. Uh, and you're going to want to be able to feed people for more than just the turkey and the side. So DATA, the word data to 33777. Now, I got to get into this audio here from Stephanie Rule on MSNBC. She was on with Willie Geist uh, on the Today Weekend show. Willie, by the way, great guy. Uh, really, don't know him well. Have never had a bad interaction with that guy. He is just a, a solid guy. Um, he is, uh, there aren't a tie. I can't say that about a lot of people at NBC these days. But he had her on to explain inflation in the economy and, and i need you to listen to this and then we need to dissect and digest uh some data here this is stephanie rule talking to willie geist on nbc's today show this weekend well, listen, Willie, nobody knows exactly when they're going down, but you have to put all this in perspective. This inflation is not in isolation, and the government predicted it was going to be a challenging recovery, recovery all tied to COVID. So it's why you see things like that expanded child tax credit. You've got the families of over 60 million kids on average getting $430 a month. For people on fixed incomes, older people on Social Security, they're getting those fixed payments adjusted next year up 5.9% for inflation. And the dirty little secret here, Willie, while nobody likes to pay more, on average, we have the money to do so. Household savings hit a record high over the pandemic. We didn't really have anywhere to go out and spend. And as we said a moment ago, we're expecting retail sales this holiday season to break records. For those who own their homes, the value of our homes are up. 
And while the stock market isn't the economy, you got over half of American households with some investment in the markets, and the markets have hit record highs. So we need to put all of this in perspective. This time last year, when you and I were talking, Willie, nobody had a vaccine. Now 200 million Americans do, and we're seeing this push of demand, and that's pushing up pricing. Okay. I, I want to take a, a different tone with this. We can certainly say that Stephanie Rule and her commentary about the dirty little secret, we all have more money, is out of touch. We can say it's naive. We can say it's spin for the Democrats. I actually think something else is going on here that's far more problematic because that's, I think, indicative of a lot of media outlets these days. Of the big three networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, of the major cable outlets of CNN and MSNBC, and of the major newspapers, USA Today, The Washington Post, The New York Times, I think there's a larger issue here than just partisanship by the press. It is a disconnect from working class America. I and I really do think that what we're seeing play out in commentary like this from Steffi Rule is a a class commentary. The dirty little secret is we all have more money now. Savings is up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the problem is the middle class is getting hurt here. Yes, it is technically true that incomes have gone up for most people. It is technically true. It is practically true that incomes have gone down. When the Democrats say the average income has gone up in America, they're not really lying, except in practice, not in theory, they're getting it wrong because inflation has gone up so much more than income. Inflation has gone up a staggering amount compared to income. Income on average is up 1% to 2%. Inflation is up 6%. So you've actually had a net pay cut of about 5%. For a 70 rule to say that, uh, well, the dirty little secret is we have more income, maybe if you're in her class bracket. Now, I don't know what she makes. I have no idea. But I know it's six figures. I know because I was in the media for a while on TV. I was at one point one of the highest paid contributors on Fox. I was was also a very highly paid contributor to CNN for a number of years. Man, I got to tell you guys, my income, I left Fox News, my income fell by two-thirds. I got paid a chunk of change really to not be on TV. People in the media, on TV at least, are fairly well paid. People in the press, not so much. People in, in the printed press do not get paid the way people on TV get paid. Particularly if you are an anchor and you have a show, you're getting well paid. And I suspect that she lives in New York. Well, it's it's not a suspect there, but that she is surrounded to a degree with people like her. She is the NBC News senior business correspondent, the anchor of Stephanie Rule Reports. She was the managing editor and news anchor for Bloomberg Television and an editor-at-large for Bloomberg News. She co-hosted Bloomberg Television Show, Bloomberg Go. She's from New Jersey, got a bachelor's in international business. 
She studied in Guatemala, Italy, and, and Kenya. Listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with any of this. I just suspect that she is kind of out of touch with most people. She lives in Manhattan, by the way. You must be a high-income earner to live in Manhattan generally. This is not an attack on her, and I don't think that anyone should attack Stephanie Rule for what she said. But what she said caters to an audience of people that is disconnected from the realities of most people. And I don't think that she intends to be that way. In fact, I don't think most members of the media, younger members of the media certainly do, younger members of the media tend to be aggressively partisan. I just think that when you live in Manhattan, you get paid a minimum six figures, maybe seven figures. And you come on television and say, well, the dirty secret is people have more income. Part of the problem here is that you are living a data-based existence to explain the world and not walking in other people's shoes. It takes empathy out of the equation for you. Yes, it is true. People stocked away some money during COVID because they had nothing to do. But you know what? Those people have things they want to do. They want to they want to renovate their houses. They're getting in debt for that. They're taking out loans. In some cases, they're paying cash for it. On paper, they got cash. In reality, they got problems. This reminds me of my resentment that I hold to this day. And I, I'm a pretty laid back person who, who doesn't really get over a lot of stuff or who gets over most things. But to this day, I, I kind of am frustrated with I'm, I'm still paying off my loans from law school. Now, it was my choice. I'm not I'm not mad at myself for getting it. I'm not mad at the government for letting me get loans or anything like that. My dad worked for an oil company in the Middle East. On paper, my father made a very healthy living, healthy enough to disqualify me from financial assistance, uh, subsidized financial assistance. The reality, however, was that my parents had a lot of costs going into taking care of my grandparents and, and dealing with my grandparents and, and fallout from my grandparents having been taken advantage of by other people. Uh, that didn't translate into the income tax statement. It didn't translate into the financial statements. And most people are like that. I know someone who makes seven figures. I, I know, in fact, he lives here where I live, makes a million dollars a year. And he is probably headed towards bankruptcy soon because he uh, carried the burdens of the rest of his family by being overly generous with them, uh, and by bailing out family members. That doesn't translate on paper. Your debts rarely translate in the way that uh, people think they would. Your responsibilities for your family don't. And what so much of the conversation the media ignores is that people have responsibilities for their family. And it doesn't translate into, oh, well, the dirty little secret is that you've been saving more. The dirty little secret is incomes are up. The dirty little secret is you've got more money. The dirty little secret is the government is subsidizing your existence. The dirty little secret is a lot of Americans who care about their families are subsidizing the existence of their families, and this never translates into the conversations in the press. It never translates into the conversations of the media. It never translates into the conversations of government that many of us are bailing out friends and family so the government doesn't have to, and our friends and family don't have to file for bankruptcy. That is a reality. There are many people in this country who financially support their parents. There are many people in this country who continue to financially support their grown kids. 
And there are many people who on paper, their income has gone up. But you know what that means? Now they're just spending more to help other people. And you can say they should not do it. But let's be honest here. If they didn't, who would? No one. And a lot more people would fail. A lot more people would go bankrupt. A lot more people would go hungry. A lot more people would need government assistance. And the media narrative on income and equality and, and, and economics, it, doesn't, it never picks that up. And now more than ever, with inflation on the rise, it should, and it doesn't. And so the press can opine that, well, you're technically better off, or maybe you shouldn't be buying as much as you are, or maybe you're to blame for the shortages. Maybe you should get vaccinated along with everyone else so, so that we don't have shortages. This reminds me of my mom and coupons. God bless her. My mom does not use coupons to save 30 cents on something. Uh, she told me one time she had, she had an old boyfriend from Germany. He, he became a family friend. Uh, we used to go go visit him um, in Germany. Uh, and he said, you know, if, if everyone stopped using coupons, the prices of stuff would go down. My mom didn't use coupons because the price of stuff would go down so if everybody stopped. You know, if the government, uh, if, if we all got COVID, COVID vaccines, the whole world would reopen. But... Not everybody's going to get a COVID vaccine. There are people who actually would want a COVID vaccine, but they can't because of an allergic reaction there too. So not everyone will ever get the COVID vaccine. So the question must be, how are we going to live our life without it? How are we going to get back to normal? And the media conversations never contemplate these sorts of things that go on in reality. Why? Because in certain classes of society, these things don't go on. In certain classes of society, people do save enough and they don't have to worry about bailing out their family because their families are all of some level of wealth or they've got enough money to go around to help their family even with their savings. And they don't contemplate the working poor and the middle class because they're not in the working poor and the middle class and they forget they exist. They look at them based on data, not based on empathy. They look at them based on the, the sheets from the the Bureau of Labor Statistics, not from the empathetic view of someone who has lived their life and walked their shoes and understands the existence of people in the middle class doing what they can to write charitable donations to their churches for tithing and their kids' private school because they're not going to public school because the public schools have failed and they've got family members to take care of and feed. And that doesn't translate into statistics. And the Democrats have bought so much into the statistics, they have forgotten to connect empathetically to the average man and woman on the streets. The dirty little secret is just that. The media wants to be data-driven when Americans are driven on empathy. Y'all, from the moment I sat in my X chair, my body said, this is what a real office chair is supposed to be like. I had, gosh, I had gone through office chairs and then I got my X chair and it is the perfect chair. In fact, my ex chair, unlike your chair, can massage my back while I'm sitting doing three hours of talk radio. It can even heat up and cool down depending on my office, which tends to run hot in the summer and cold in the wintertime. And it's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed for the X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic lumbar DVL, they call it dynamic variable lumbar, your back's going to be happy. What I need you to do, you got to go check out the X year because yeah, I bought the, y'all know the expensive brand and I bought it. It was a good chair. It actually was a really good chair and X chair takes it to the next level. What you need to do is go to xchaireric.com now. That's X, the letter X chair, E-R-I-C-K.com or call 844-4X chair 
for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. It's xchaireric, E-R-I-C-K, dot com. It is worth it. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Reminder, if you text the word data to 33777, you will um, get back a series of links. The bottom one is to my daily newsletter. If you click through that, you will see these recipes I put up this morning uh, that you can make for breakfast. Everybody is always so obsessed about the main course for Thanksgiving. Don't forget breakfast for your family and your friends. It's also great for Christmas. I'll get you the gravy recipe later this week. All right. Uh, I am going to go to the phones first to Susan. Welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so this woman, now she is so totally out of touch. Um, remember the Great Recession under Obama when, I mean, mm-hmm. every month we had all these foreclosure notices and how many houses were going to go up on the courthouse steps? Right. Remember that? I mean, I have a lot of friends um, who around scattered around the country in various businesses that either basically took buyouts because they knew if they didn't take the buyout, they would just get laid off. Mm-hmm. or um, they they just got laid off, um, who have never come back from it. I mean, their 401ks took a huge hit when the stock market crashed then. Um, and to survive, um, they were forced to get into the rest of their 401k that was left, mm-hmm. and because they weren't 59 and a half, they paid a 10% penalty on top of that. And I have a friend out in Washington State who she lost her home in Seattle when when her her job was just eliminated and she worked for a very large company. And um, she just got a new car. You know what her new car was? What? A 2004 Honda Civic. Mm. Wow. That's her new car. Well, and, and you know, <laughs> Susan, it's not just that. There, There's actually uh, a bunch of data out there that uh, the reason – with the labor participation rate, when you look at it, it's not uh, everybody is filling up the jobs. It's that you've got one person working three part-time jobs now just to make a living, and yeah. they're considered fully employed. You've also got a lot of people who are sitting it out still. They have their savings or their COVID benefits. They don't have to go back to work yet, and it's disproportionately falling. But, you know, there, there's another bit of data here, and I, I didn't let you go there because we're almost out of time, but thank you for the call. Uh, you know, a lot of women, I, I said the other day, it was anecdote, and several people sent me data the job labor participation rate of women has fallen. Why? Because in two parent households, the moms decided they would stay home with the kids during the pandemic to help with school. And they realized financially the family could make it work with cutbacks. And so if anything, uh, it has been good for families in a sense in that now there's one parent mostly staying home. It's not all moms. Some of it was the dads, but having one person stay home with kids and what's happening, an increase in homeschooling as well, as families are realizing they don't necessarily need the government. Uh, And that I think might actually be long-term societally good, but all the other stuff is so bad. It's, it's offsetting. It's just in the Democrats have lost sense of all of this because 
you got a bunch of single 20-somethings who set policy for the Democratic Party these days, and they, they don't know what it is to have a family and kids. And yet the media is now saying there may be a baby boom coming, that in, in the next few months we may actually see an explosion of children in this country uh, because of the lockdowns and COVID. We'll see if that actually happens. I'm not so sure. When we come back, we got to move on to the ABC News Washington Post polling and how terrible it is. And also, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. The Supreme Court might get rid of Roe. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation from my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. It's bad for Joe Biden out there. Uh, don't believe me, uh, believe Democrat turned supposedly objective reporter, George Stephanopoulos, ABC, Washington Post has a poll. Now, I want to be open and honest with you. I think the ABC News, Washington Post poll is a bit of an outlier. By that, I mean its numbers are so different from everything else. Either it is catching a trend or it has missed the trend. Uh, The trends are what matters. We'll get into those trends here in a minute. But first, listen to George Stephanopoulos talking about ABC's new poll. We're coming on the air this morning with a brand new poll, and it's brutal for President Biden. His approval rating has hit a new low. Only 41% of Americans think he's doing a good job in office. 53% disapprove. 70% believe the economy is in bad shape. And with inflation at a three-decade high, only 39% approve of Biden's handling of the economy. Looking ahead to the midterm elections, Republicans have a 10-point lead among registered voters, their largest lead ever in the 40-year history of our poll. Yeah, that's the last nugget is brutal, and, and I suspect it's a bit of an outlier. Now, you should know, in the Real Clear Politics polling average, and let me make sure it hasn't adjusted since I looked at it yesterday, um, the generic ballot polling of which party would you, do you want to take over Congress, Republican or Democrat, Yeah, the Republicans have a 0.7% lead. Uh, To give you a sense of where this is, in 2012, the the Democrats had a 1.2% lead, uh, and yet the GOP actually wound up ultimately, um, I'm sorry, the Republicans had a 0.2% lead, and the Democrats' final result was a 1.2% lead. In 2014, the Republicans had a 2.4% lead in the real clear politics average, and the actual result was a 5.7% lead. In 2010, the average was Republicans 9%. The reality was a 6.8%, but that was a crushing bit for the Democrats. In 2016, the real clear politics polling average had Democrats up 06 The reality was Republicans had a 1.1% final result lead. And then in 2018, the Democrats had a 7.3% lead in the poll average, and reality was an 8.4% real lead. In 2020, the average was 6.8% lead for the Democrats. The reality was a 3% lead for the Democrats. So now that gets us back to where we are right now for the 2022 generic ballot. The Real Clear Politics polling average is a Republican 0.7% lead. My suspicion is looking at the polling that the ABC News poll is an outlier. 
but that the trend lines are for the GOP and a lot of the press is overstating a Democrat lead. Virginia kind of clues us in on that. Now, what do I mean by all of this? It sounds like gobbledygook. To some degree, it is. The generic ballot is which party do registered voters want to put in charge of Congress? And ABC News says by 10%, 51 to 41, your average voter wants the GOP. Now, here's the problem. Registered voter polling skews Democrat. So if registered voters want the Republicans by 10%, likely voters would want them by probably 12 or 13%. And I don't think that's real. And the reason I don't think that's real is because your average voter does lean Democrat. However, what if it is real? If it is real, we have never seen an election like this in American history. Why could it be real? It could be real because when you get into the underlying trends, you see something that is disturbing Democrats badly. What is the thing that keeps Democrats up at night? You're seeing this in the polling. That thing that goes bump in the night and wakes the Democrats up in a cold sweat. We're not only seeing it in the polling, we are seeing it in reality. And it is bothering top Democrats, even if they don't say so in public. Now, I know it is bothering top Democrats because I try to keep a line open to a lot of the Republicans and a lot of the Democrats out there so that I can analyze the news for you and not just mouth off about opinion. And I know this is keeping top Democrats up at night because they tell me in our candid conversations it is also the thing that is bringing joy to the Republicans I talk to. The Republicans I talk to never thought it was really possible. The Republicans I talk to thought it would all be a dream. The Republicans that I talk to think it was an anomaly and now realize it probably is not. The Democrats I talk to, they thought it was an anomaly and now they realize it probably was not and it is petrifying them. Hispanic voters are moving to the GOP. It looked to be an anomaly. In fact, when it happened, Democrats consoled themselves in 2020 by saying it's just a Trump thing. It was only Trump. I'll never forget in the New York Times they ran a piece trying to explain the Hispanic shift to the GOP, and the New York Times literally said it was because many of them came from countries that had very charismatic authoritarian types in charge, and that's what they liked. That was in the New York Times. I'm not making that up. It was really there. And you would think, hmm, why would you be fleeing a strongman authoritarian if that's what you like? But that never dawned on the people writing this at the New York Times. Turns out, Hispanic voters are really opposed to socialism. They fled socialist regimes. And now they're coming here and they're making a stand against socialism. They're doing it by voting for the Republican Party. It is an economic and a cultural vote. 
And that's something that the Democrats are going to have problems with because it is not an either-or proposition. It is a both. The healing power of and. It is economics and culture. Hispanic voters tend to be the most culturally conservative people in this country. And they tend to not like socialism because it's what their families fled from. Third and fourth generation Hispanic voters, young Gen Z and and young millennial Hispanic voters lean Democrat because culturally they are part of a generation of this country that is lean left. Their parents and grandparents, they're moving right and there are more of them and they vote and they're voting Republican. They voted for Donald Trump. And if you pay attention, it wasn't just South Texas that the media uh, is obsessed with. Now, why is there so much focus on South Texas? One is because the media believed the myth. The media believed that Texas was ripe for the taking by the Democrats. And instead, South Texas, Hispanic voters flipped dramatically to the GOP. Texas benefits by having something called the Texas Tribune. The Texas Tribune is a largely progressive-funded local state operation that focuses on Texas policy and politics from a left perspective, but tries to maintain the veneer of objectivity. It is a partisan organization. It leans to the left in its coverage and in its worldview. It has been funded in the past by a Democratic elite who wanted to fund operations like this around the country. The Texas Tribune was very successful. It actually does do some good journalism and good work, but it is certainly of the left, and it certainly bought into the idea that the Democrats could make a big play in Texas. Colorado does not have such a an operation. There are some in Colorado who just not like Texas Tribune. And in Colorado, because no eyes were on Colorado, people did not notice that the southern counties of Colorado that are closest to Texas that are overwhelmingly Hispanic, they shifted to the GOP as well. In Florida... The Hispanic vote shifted to the GOP, and a lot of people thought, well, that's just the Cuban-Americans, except it wasn't. It was the Puerto Rican-Americans as well. It was the non-Caribbean Hispanic vote in Florida as well, shifted to the GOP. And now we've got Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. The largest shifts in Virginia, county by county, precinct by precinct, came in Hispanic areas. They swung to the GOP. The Hispanic vote shift, it is not inevitable. It is not going to continue to happen, but it is happening, and it is something that's reflected in the polls with ABC News, The Washington Post, Republicans with a 10-point generic ballot lead. And again, this is an outlier. We have never had an election in modern times in the United States where the Republicans had a 10-point lead in the generic ballot, even going back to 1994 and the Gingrich Revolution. ABC News, Washington Post has asked this question for 40 years. This is the largest lead from the GOP. The poll could be off. The poll more likely than not is off. But just because it might be and more than likely is, doesn't mean that it really is. Could be wrong, but it's picking up the shift in the Hispanic vote. This nation has never seen an R plus 10 congressional election. It probably won't. But if it does, it's going to be because of what this poll is detecting. Young people are souring rapidly on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And Hispanic voters are souring on the Democratic Party at large because they don't like socialism 
and more and more of the Democrats are pushing them in state control and they don't like cultural liberalism and the Democrats are pushing them hard in that area. The Democratic Party, as it becomes a party of rich, white, college-educated voters, is alienating Hispanic voters who are moving rapidly to the GOP. The most culturally conservative subset of voters in this country is Protestant Hispanic voters. Hispanic voters who have converted from Catholicism to Protestantism are the most culturally conservative people in this country, and there are a lot of them. And they're starting to show up in the polling as socially conservative Republican voters. This is a problem for the Biden administration because it's one they can't fix and they know they can't fix it. They can't fix it because the Democratic Party is a culturally progressive party. You can't suddenly abandon those values without breaking up your whole party. But by not abandoning those, by not accommodating people who disagree with you culturally, you're pushing a section of your voters out of your party into the other party. And we are a 50-50 nation. This nation is very split. And in so doing and in so being, the Democrats are making the split even wider for themselves, and it's going to hurt them electorally, and the polling is beginning to show it. Again, the Real Clear Politics polling average right now, a year from the midterms, is R plus 0.7. And you've got the ABC News Washington Post poll, for the first time in its history, has an R plus 10 generic ballot lead. Those should raise alarm bells for the White House. Joe, I'm going to go to you next. Welcome to the program, Joe. Hey, Eric, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing quite well, and I'm listening to your discussion of the Latino shift to the uh, Republican Party. Yep. I would say that we'll see a wall thrown up in a heartbeat and the uh, border locked down. That'll be the one good yeah. thing that comes from it. Yeah, probably so. And, and you so, know, ironically, those Hispanic voters, they're the ones who want the wall. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, the Democrats it, will, too. Yeah, the, the Democrats will, too. And, and, you know, by the way, and Joe, thanks for that, because you're right. And I'm not being flippant with this. Demographically, the Democratic Party uh, is out to lunch on the security of the border issue. Hispanic voters who came here legally and made their lives here are the group of voters who most want a secure border. Why? should be very obvious to you. It's not that they want to keep other people out. It's that they busted their butts to come here illegally, and they don't appreciate how illegal voters can swarm the border as quickly as they can uh, and come into the system that they took the effort to do legally. The Democrats, they don't understand any of these issues anymore, and that's to their detriment. Phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, if you want to be a part of this here program. Uh, this just hit uh, the Washington Post. Actually, I take it back. They dropped it last night, but they've just moved it to the very top of the Washington Post website. Biden has underestimated problems facing the country, and Democrats fear that has become a political problem. In June, senior White House officials promised that rising inflation was just transitory. In July, President Biden declared that the virus is on the run. And in August, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki declared the president continues to believe that it is not inevitable that the Taliban take over Afghanistan. But just in the past week, inflation hit a 31-year high as prices rose 6.2% over a year ago. Coronavirus cases are ticking up again 
and the United States announced that Qatar will serve as its diplomatic proxy in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. Headwinds that come as the Democratic Party reels from a set of unexpected losses in elections around the country. In these and other cases, a growing number of Democrats worry that the White House has repeatedly underestimated the scale of the challenges facing the country, exacerbating the party's political problems and making its already perilous path to holding Congress in 2022 even more difficult. They acknowledge the problems presented by the unpredictable nature of the pandemic and an uneven economic recovery, but fear the administration's tendency to downplay the issues has only made things worse. How does Ron Klain still have a job? Ron Klain is Joe Biden's chief of staff. I, I, I want to I wanna say something to you that I know some of you disagree with. I, I, I know you disagree because you tell me you disagree, and I think y'all are wrong. I actually think Joe Biden is in charge of the White House. I know a lot of you don't. I think Joe Biden calls the shots at the end of the day. The problem is Joe Biden's only available a few hours a day between naps, and he is in a deep, deep, deep bubble. The job of the White House Chief of Staff is to penetrate the bubble of real America and arrive with real America at Joe Biden's doorstep for him to make an informed decision. The White House has had a series of bad missteps and misjudgments about the nature of the virus, the nature of Afghanistan, the nature of the economy, the nature of inflation, and now it's causing economic fallout and collapse. Why does Ron Klain still have a job at the White House? Why is he still the chief of staff? He is failing at the job of managing this for the president and making sure the president is informed of what's happening in real America. He's failing. Uh, the extent to which he's failing is is astonishing, and that's good for the GOP. It's, it's good for conservatives, but at the end of the day, Joe Biden's got to make decisions, and he is too ill-informed to be able to make those decisions. It doesn't mean he's not making them. It just means the people giving him the information with which to make his decisions are not giving him a full picture of what's going on, and I don't think Biden really cares anyway. That's the problem for the Democrats. He doesn't care. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.